the Auburn Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson here, Painter Sharpless over there. Hello, Painter. Howdy, howdy. Painter, before we get into basketball, which will take up most of our discussion today, uh, there will be some football towards the end, so hang in there. Um, we will try to give you some give you some positives, Auburn fans, if you want to if you want to look look ahead to the future. Um, so the Super Bowl is tonight. We're recording this on on Sunday morning, like we usually do these these weekend episodes. Um, Auburn football tweeted ten minutes ago from the time we uh, started recording. Uh, just a general like, hey, good luck, guys, uh, tonight, and it's uh, good luck in the Super Bowl tonight to Auburn men. And they tagged Jamal Dean and Carlton Davis, who are going to be playing for the Bucks tonight against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Here's my takeaway here. Uh, Carlton Davis's Twitter handle is Carlton uh, underscore low key. That's kind of one of his things he's had for a while. Uh, Jamel Dean's uh, Jamel Dean's Twitter handle is at JMD0074. Uh, I believe that is his Auburn email <laughs> that address. That is definitely his Auburn email. And he just kept it. I love that. I love that so much. I hope that that is his Twitter. I don't know how long Twitter will be a thing, but if it is a thing in 15 years, I hope he's still rocking his Auburn.edu. Yeah. And Jamel, I remember when he was at um, when he was in college, like he was one of the guys who didn't tweet a whole lot. And so, Smart move, honestly. I mean, in in my head, in my head, that Jamel Dean, like Jamel Dean's Twitter account, was one like he had to make for like a class or something. Because you get that from time to time. Um, there are a couple of guys who are on the team now who tweet like during like their world history class, where it's like <laughs> they're supposed to they're supposed to be like, you know, it's like the weird like discussion thing where you have your professor go like, you know. Uh, once you read this tweet, what you think about it, and like, so was you have... Genghis Khan actually kind of a cool dude? Is that your take? I don't know. Doesn't he have tons of children? Probably not that cool of a dude. Uh, you know, there's that theory that you know yeah. so much percentage of the world's population can tie tie back to him because he, uh, yeah, it wasn't great. Pillard. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just I, I love the fact that Jamel Tain's Twitter account, like now verified, you know, cornerback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, had a really good year this year. I think, I think PFF had a stat uh, this week that was like he was the highest rated corner against when covering. You know, uh, like I want to say it was like the top twenty receivers in the NFL or something like that this season, something like that. Yeah, one um, of the uh, ESPN football shows. I can't keep it straight which one it was, but uh, Kimes, Mina Kimes, and uh, Dan Orlovsky, however you say his name, they were gassing him up recently. Yeah, he's done really well, and, and Carlton Carlton does as well. But I just I, I could, couldn't get over seeing the the three initials, the and the numbers <laughs> after it. I'm like, I know exactly what that is. So shout out to Jamel Dean repping the uh, repping the Auburn email address in his Twitter handle. Let's see, uh, let's see if he ends up being a Super Bowl champion later today. Um, that How would much be would it take for a for defensive him. player to be the MVP of the game? Because that that feels like an award that's going to one of the quarterbacks. Or yeah. Tyreek Hill, or maybe Travis Kelsey. Uh, when the Broncos beat Cam's Panthers, that was Von Miller, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you have to you have to just completely just you have to tear affect the game. Yeah, yeah. you have to be you have to be a way big defensively. Time. Yeah, you have to be a big time big time playmaker for sure. Um, all right, well, let's just rip the bandaid off, Auburn fans. Uh, Auburn basketball, you know, headed into this week, we had talked about okay, well, you know. The Baylor game was tough. If you listen to this this weekend podcast last week, it was like, yeah, the Baylor game is tough, but there's a chance to go on a run here um, if you're Auburn because look at what you got coming up. You got back-to-back <laughs> home games against teams that are lower rated than you. Um, 
you can you should be able to take care of business and get on a little run. Well, now they've lost twice now to Georgia and now Ole Miss. This Ole Miss game was once again just a culmination of Auburn's woes to this point because they were up by 14 at one point in the second half. They blew that lead and down the stretch and I mean, I, I think it's at this point they didn't score 85, which has been the, the magic number. So 84, it's really, really close. Under Bruce Pearl, is like, all right, if you score more than 80, that's a win usually for Auburn. And it came closest, but like now I think it's like Auburn has lost, if you go 84 or more, if we tweak it a little bit, Auburn's lost four games this season in SEC play when they've scored 84 points, and that hadn't happened in years. Like that hadn't happened in like three or four years. A single loss in that aspect. Now you're talking about four of them. I mean, let's just let's just face it, and let's just get right down to it. This team, as it's playing right now, just can't play good enough defense to win against talented SEC teams. And Ole Miss, even though they're not one of the elites in the SEC, they're a talented SEC. They're a talented team because Dad Gummit, Romello White, and Devonte Shuler are definitely really talented players, and they're experienced players, and they knew how to really, really get to this young Auburn team on on the offensive end yesterday. Yeah, a mixture of experience, a couple of talented players, top 20 defense. Uh, I know a lot of people are making the joke about Schuler. It's like, man, he's been terrorizing Auburn for what feels like a lot more than four years of eligibility. Yeah. I'm really disappointed in this week of basketball, but you said it before the season started. I was like, what's the downfall of this team if they do underachieve? And young teams – in college basketball often struggle with their defense. So even that doesn't necessarily make the struggles easier to get through, but it is not a complete surprise that it's where we've arrived. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to this, like Auburn, Auburn now since Sharif Cooper's come back, they are now four and five. At one point they were four and two. They've lost three straight now, but the thing about it is, and we'll talk about him for sure, because there were some of his passes he had yesterday that were that were ridiculous. They were, he, he played a, I mean, he does exactly what you want as a playmaker. Sharif Cooper does not fix Auburn's bigger problems from the season. You know, and Bruce Pearl said that himself. What Auburn's biggest issue is, is that they do not defend and rebound on a consistent basis. They get pushed around inside from time to time. Um recently a little bit more often than not. And defensively, they're very inconsistent. And so you want to go to the point where it's like youth is not an excuse anymore. They are 11 games into SEC play. They they have played Baylor and Gonzaga. They have gone through the fire a lot, right? But those guys on the other end, Devontae Shuler has been at Ole Miss for what feels like 15 years. Uh, you know, Romello White had three seasons at Arizona State before he came to Ole Miss and is and is tearing it up for them this year. Those guys have been through it. They've had times like this. And these these Auburn these Auburn players, for the most part, are this is new to them. Every single one of them is new to them. Well, and, and is, to clarify, this is their this first Ole season Miss, they're having to do this. This Ole Miss team specifically last year lost a ton of close games, if memory serves me correct. And yes. So, like, that that happened in this particular game I don't think is surprising given how much more experience they have. You're talking about going through the fire. Well, this Ole Miss team did that last season. And so I wrote about this on Sunday morning if you're a subscriber at the Observer uh, in the observa- in the in the in the post game observations. 
youth isn't an excuse. Like you can't say, oh, well, we're young. That's why we keep screwing up the same way on defense. Over Like no one at Auburn's going to use that excuse. No athlete, no coach is going to use an excuse. If you're making excuses, if you're in the excuse making business, you're in the wrong business as a, as a player or as a coach, right? They don't do that. That is and not like, in their DNA. I like that they pointed out, hey, we're you know two two thirds of the way through the season, so a lot of these right. guys now have a decent bit of experience. Even if it's true, the team overall is very young. But I, I wrote this: while youth is not an excuse, it is the explanation right now. If you're a team that's mostly made up of underclassmen, you can't execute at a high level. We have seen young teams compete for championships, win championships, even in college basketball, a sport that we know that experience matters a lot, especially in the postseason. So while you can do that, all that experience is usually the reason why you aren't executing at a high level, right? Because you're just like, oh, we just haven't been here before. They haven't done they haven't done this yet. There is, you know, it's different if you're screwing up so much on defense. And most of your guys are in their first years of being starters or, or, you know, key role players compared to their third or fourth, right? Like, that makes a difference. Well, by that point, I'm just likely to believe you're never going to have a very good defense with those players. Right. If they're in year three or four, I mean. But let's be very clear. The youth is the reason why... Auburn is not playing good defense right now. It's like, okay, they have not done it together. There's there's some there's some reasons that we'll get into uh, uh, about this. But secondly, they just have to just do like it's stuff that they can fix, right? Like it's it's not that like oh, you're young, it's impossible for you to get better. Bruce Bruce Pearl said this after the game. The guys defensively don't have to be Superman. You just got to do a better job of keeping a guy uh keeping the guy in front of you, a better job of communicating, a better job of getting deflection and forcing some turnovers, right? You feel like Auburn, some from time to time, is trying to get the block or the you know the big highlight real play on defense, and guys, you know, teams have warmed up to that. Auburn has not blocked shots as much these last last few games because teams have warmed up to the fact that hey, Auburn is going to fly for it. Usually, there's going to be two guys. I mean, the Chris Moore block yesterday, as cool as it was, we'll go back and watch. There's like three dudes going for that block right now, and we talked about it earlier in the week where against Georgia, that was an issue because you give up backside rebounding doing that. If you don't get that block, it, that ball's either going in or if it goes off, you know, you have free you have free rebounders usually on the backside. They're going to be able to scoop it up and get it in for the opponent. They can be better. They have to be better moving forward. But the reason why they're not better right now is partly because it's like they have not had this, like, this, this battle-tested, you know, they haven't been through the fire uh, before. It's very similar to where Auburn was before they won the SEC. Uh, the SEC in the seventeen eighteen season, like this is very. It's very similar to where they were at that point, where they were losing close games. They were giving up a lot on defense, and it's a young. It's a young team. Well, they turned the page. They became a really good defensive team the next season. They went on a run. Auburn's gonna have to figure out the way to do that right now. So. That's the that's the big thing with this team. They are they are not playing good defense, and it's and those are correctable mistakes. But it's a lot easier to correct them moving forward when you're young compared to oh well you're just not like you said Ben like you just might not be a good defensive player. That that's not the case with these guys. Jamal Johnson's the only dude out there that's an upperclassman. Like there is a lot of room to grow for this team. I do want to push back on the notion that this is an effort 
problem. Okay. I can yeah, understand. You were talking to me about this. Yeah. I can understand that there might be some periods or even some sequences where it looks like, hey, there could be more intensity on that end of the floor. Sure. I but, think, uh, not to cut you off here, but like, I think against Georgia, you could have made that argument. I don't think you can make that argument from the old Miss game. I think effort, I think effort and, and, and intensity, especially in the first half, really hurt Auburn against Georgia. Ole Miss, I think they played hard all like for all forty five minutes. Yeah, I and like this idea of the team just doesn't want it, whatever it is. I don't know what that analysis is. Well, I, that's an easy. It's a it's an easy armchair analysis of this of, of this team. It's like, oh, they're not playing well on defense. Well, what's the easiest explanation that somebody that's a, that's that anybody can just start up? Well, they're not. They don't want it hard enough. They're not playing hard enough. And like. Yes, effort and intensity was a problem in the Georgia game. It was not a problem in the Ole Miss game. They came out playing really, really well in the first half, especially on the defensive end and in rebounding. They had the advantage of both of those categories. They built and, and came out to a big lead. But it's not effort. It's not an effort thing with this team. They just, I mean, from my perspective, from my perspective, when you watch this team play defense, here's where Auburn, here's where Auburn's at right now. They're having a hard time, as Pearl said, staying in front of their man on defense with with um, you know the guards and the wings can get beat on drives from time to time. You know they're not locked down. This is not a team that's got a full just full of lockdown. You're not going to get anything on us, kind of defenders, right? So they get to the basket a little bit more often in man to man defense. And then where you come in with the problems of you know overextending trying to trying to you know overcorrect on, on on defense to get the block and you give out the rebounds and such and such and all that secondly in zone defense they have a tendency sometimes in your zone defenses and your pressure defenses these guys because they are so young once you get in that rotation sometimes dudes don't necessarily know where to go all the time and you give up early sh- uh, you, i mean you give up um easy shots uh you know posi- there are positioning problems in the first half Auburn played better defense. Why did Auburn play better defense in the first half? A, they were fresher, but B, and most importantly, and we've heard Bruce Pearl talk about this all the time for the last few seasons, in that first half, your defense is there with your with you know on the same side of the floor as the coaching staff. So they are closer to be able to say the the coaches can say, hey, get here, hey, get there, hey, this is what we're doing. But to say it, just chalk it up as an as an effort thing, is really really, you know, oversimplifying it. And yes, defense is a lot to do with effort, but like it's, it's not easy. It's kind of, like you can. This isn't just playing pickup basketball. I think the example like, right. you used before we went on involved like a screen, and it's like well, right. there's four or five different ways you could defend that alone. Yeah. Okay. So like this isn't like going to play pickup basketball. It's like all right, this is my man, and if I just work really hard on defense, I'm you know it's going to be effort thing. It, at this level, with the, the as much of different types of offenses that get thrown at you, just let's just take man-to-man defense in in a nutshell, right? Let's just man-to-man defense. All right. When a screen comes, do you switch it? Do you stay at home? Do you go over the screen? Do you go under the screen? Do you ice it? I mean, how many people listening to this know what icing is? I don't really know a ton about what icing icing a screen is. I know Auburn does it uh, a decent bit, but uh, I can't fully explain it. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of details into that, and then when you go into zone, what kind of zone is it? A matchup zone? Is it a straight up zone? What do you do when the ball goes into this corner? What do you? I mean, there there's some things right now where the ball goes into the wing, 
And you can see that there's some hesitation or like, all right, do I go here or do I go there? And sometimes that will give you open looks. And so when Auburn, what Auburn does at this point is they're not an elite defensive, they're they're not an elite defensive team in man. They're not an elite defensive team in zone. They're not an elite uh, defensive team in pressing um, and and pressure situations. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. And they don't go to it nearly as much because of the the way the, the game's being officiated. And so when you do all that, what Bruce Pearl is doing is saying, hey, we're going to keep the other team on their toes a little bit by changing up our defense. We'll go man for a little while. Then we'll go to zone. Then we'll switch it up maybe to another zone. Then we'll go back to man. Then we'll do a pressure in the situation. Maybe we'll do a half-court thing, uh, half-court trap or a half-court press here in that case. And that works when everyone's executing at a high level. But when you're changing it up constantly and you've got a bunch of young dudes out there, you can just see it. There are times where these guys just don't necessarily know where they're supposed to be or how they're supposed to guard this certain action. And that really compounds on itself. Like, Bruce Pearl and this coaching staff is trying to draw it up and and trying to say, hey, let's do this and this and this and this and this to try to make the most of the situation. But the fact of the matter is, is they're just having a hard time playing defense, period. So it's not an effort thing. I think it's just an execution and experience thing. Yeah, and to that end, like, I don't think that's a huge surprise. The offense uh, struggled without Sharif at times. I mean, you could see individual struggled talent. Struggled at times with Sharif, but offense yeah, wasn't the problem. But, but it has been, you know, pretty impressive since he's gotten back on the yeah. whole. But as you already mentioned, Pearl was well aware that getting Sharif back would not cover up the blemishes on the defensive end or in some other areas. And to that point, very true. Another thing you also mentioned, like, this was never a team that was going to be twenty-five and six. No, this is a team that if 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 the, if this is a normal season, they're fighting for their for their tournament lives. This is a team that was picked to finish in the middle of the pack in the SEC. You know, before this losing streak, they were on a stretch where like people who you know do brackets and stuff for a living are like, hey, if Auburn was eligible, they'd be fighting. They'd be getting their way back into the conversation right now just because of how well they'd been playing with Sharif Cooper back. But, yeah, I mean, heading into the season, we knew that this team was going to be fighting for it. Right now, they're having a hard time finishing games, um, doing the things that, you know, other experienced teams, you know, a team like that falls down between it falls down by 14. Ole Miss never lost confidence. They just kept going. They have veterans. They have a veteran coach. They just kept swinging, and it worked. We've seen this happen from time to time this year. These in-game situations where the ball doesn't bounce your way, the calls don't go your way, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, Auburn has been on the losing end of that more often than not, and that is a different experience, and that is a different feeling for Auburn fans because Auburn is losing games right now this season that they normally win. They don't blow these leads, or if they do blow the lead, they finish the job. Are they went like like Andy Burcham tweeted yesterday? They had won nine straight overtime games in, stupid, heading into yesterday. That's crazy. Stat. I mean, that is insane. Um, anything but, above 50 50 in overtime, usually in college basketball, if you're anything above 50 50 50 or 500, I should say, if you're everything anything above 500, you take that and run with it to win nine straight overtime games. And I tweeted this out Sunday morning. Kim Palm has a stat called luck, and what luck is is saying, hey. Let's look at your record and compare it to how well you're actually playing. Like, how well statistically is this saying that you are playing compared to what your record is, and then go off the deviation. 
Bruce Pearl's teams, every single one of them under Bruce Pearl has been in the positives in luck, meaning their record was a little bit better than what they were actually playing. Last season, it was a lot better than the way they were actually playing, and that made sense. That was a grinded they out. They won so many close games last year. And, they, and it wasn't a style points team, right? Right. They were seventh in D1 in luck last season. <laughs> this season, they're 307th. This is the yeah. first time uh, This is the first time Auburn has had a quote-unquote unlucky basketball team. And luck is just the word you use, the term you use for that. But another way to point it is, is like, hey, Auburn's really young and they're losing close games. And they're not getting – they're like – the stats say they should be their record should be better than what it is, and so I think that is a uh, I think that is something that you can kind of hold on to, Auburn fan, if you were wondering about what this season what the season is like, and where is that you're playing Auburn is playing better than a ten and ten team right now. They are playing better than a four and seven in SEC play. So if this season is about developing, and it's not about just the end result in your record because you're not going to the postseason, right? That's something you can build on. You can look at the fact that, man, like Jalen Williams turned into Bryce Brown for a stretch yesterday. Like, we have seen Alan Flanagan take over games. Sharif Cooper is is is, is Sharif Cooper. Um, you know, JT Torres had some really good. Like, everybody has had, you've seen this individual development. You've seen the team kind of grow together. It's just not always showing up on the scoreboard, especially recently, because you're playing more experienced teams, you're playing good teams, and you don't have what it takes yet, keyword yet, to close the door. Do you develop it? I mean, the the track record under Bruce Pearl says that they will. It's just not going to come this year, probably, unless it comes down the stretch of this season. And oh, by the way, down the stretch of the season is where you have the toughest part of your schedule again. Yeah, really awesome last four games there. It's going to be uh, an incredible close to the season for those boys. And, you know, if the trajectory of the team goes the way I think it will, I do think Auburn's going to piece together some wins down the stretch, albeit I also thought this team was going to go on a run here in February. So we'll yeah, see no. how that goes. Also, speaking of Flanagan and Williams, we don't know what Sharif's going to do, but let's assume for my sake that he comes back and you get Jabari a and tough, Thor has a, another year. It's a, tough, it's, it's a tough hypothetical at this point, but yes, continue. Yes, as a top 10, potential top 10 pick, it, it does right. not bode well. But uh, let's say he does. Then you're looking at players like Williams and like Flanagan I mean, they're your fourth, fifth, sixth option. And it's like, that's a really good place to be next year when when Alan Flanagan is getting guarded by another team's fifth best, fourth best defender. It's like, he's going to eat. But, you know, you've mentioned, like, uh, I don't want to take your thunder, but I, I think it was a good thing to point out. I wonder if it's true, like, did his offensive struggles have anything to do with his defensive struggles. And I guess you and I can't know that, but I think it was a fine observation on your part. Yeah. And I think defensively he played well in the first half. He just got in foul trouble and all three fouls were like, Oh, come on. Once again, I mean, I don't want to do it every week where you come on this podcast. But they give us like, a reason to every week. College basketball officiating, like, you know, society has, has, has evolved past the need for college basketball officials. Like, I don't know. I would know rather them call their own fouls right now. Yes, 100%. Because, that, like, for instance, 100%. the one we're all thinking of as you're about to wind up here is the obvious one that Sharif gets where he doesn't have the ball, the defender yep. is sliding, and no matter what, it just you don't do that. 
Like, don't no. do that if you're the official. What are you doing? You are rewarding in that case. And even, uh, again, to, to not, you know, I've been accused of a lot of things in the last couple of weeks about my takes on, on officiating. Because, like, oh, you're already winning because it's happening again. I don't care. I hate I hate the way this is officiated for both teams. There are plenty. The Georgia game, um, the, the Missouri game, a couple of weeks ago. What are people accusing you of? Is no one watching what I'm watching? No, I don't they're care accusing what team you're pulling for. This sucks to watch. Right, exactly. It's like one of those it's like one of those things it's like, well, it's just because it's going against something. No, I I thought Missouri got hosed two weeks ago. The amount of foul calls they got they got on them. And Auburn was able to win that game. And I know a lot of people were pointing out in the Alabama game that well, I can't remember which player it was, got absolutely hacked late in the game. And it's like, yep. how are you calling fouls all game? And I know that there's no that. love lost Shreve in the Auburn in the fan face. base, but it's right. like, call those. Yeah. Call them in the last five seconds. Right. And you're rewarding guys for not playing defense, right? I Offensive fouls and charges, like if you're lowering your shoulder or leading with your elbow, and if it's clearly like, hey, I'm playing defense and moving my feet and doing what I'm supposed to do, and I just get knocked down uh, because the offensive player you know, doesn't let me defend, basically – that's charging, but what you do is you get this point. It's like, oh, we're gonna give up a, we're gonna give up a play. We're gonna give up on this now. play instead of going straight up. And that's the other problem. If you, if 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 college basketball officials like correctly officiated, you know, verticality rules and all that, it's just like guys who want to challenge people at the rim, who want to, you know, go straight up and try to do that on fast breaks and stuff like that. They get called for fouls. Even if they go straight up, even if they do everything. So what you do now is that you get this little bailout, and and Auburn does it. Like Sharif Cooper's really good at drawing at drawing charges. It's another reason why he's very much like Chris Paul. Like you're you're rewarding a team for not playing defense. I tweeted it yesterday. What happens if you're playing football and like a, a cornerback's just like, oh, I'm getting beat. Well, I just need to stop and get run over, and that'll that'll be a you know penalty on the receiver. Like you're rewarding people for not playing defense anymore. And this game, the problem was, is in the first 10 minutes of the game, it was free-flowing. There were a few fouls. It was a physical game. These, de- these Both of these defenses were playing aggressive. They were playing energetic defense. It was a fun game to watch in the first 10 minutes because guys were getting to play without foul calls. And then out of nowhere, it flips, and the and the fouls start racking up on, bo- on both ends. Let me be very clear. It was on both ends you had that issue where Ole Miss was getting some fouls. Or, or, I mean, Auburn was drawing some fouls. On Ole Miss, that were just these weak little touch fouls away from the basket. Now, in the second half, did more of the 50-50 calls, questionable foul calls, go against Auburn? Yes, but no one at Auburn is going to use that as an excuse for you why they lost the game. blew another double-digit lead. Like, I don't yeah. think that the players themselves, they might be frustrated by a few calls here and there, the obvious one being the momentum shifter where Auburn's up eight, they get a basket, should be up double digits, and instead Ole Miss goes on a scoring run of their own. But – Nonetheless, completely flip the momentum if you believe in such things. Such right. things, but nonetheless, like don't blow a fourteen-point lead. Also, yeah. play a little better defense and easier but said just, than done. But here we are. It's so infuriating, and I like your point. Just make them call their own fouls at this point, because like, okay, so yesterday, yesterday Duke played North Carolina, aka the only game ESPN pays attention to in Holy college basketball. Crap, do they ever? I mean, it's like they don't pay attention for three hundred sixty-four days, and then they know when that one's up. And yeah, and then Carolina Duke are not great this year. I think Carolina's got a the Carolina's probably going to make the tournament and could get back in the top twenty five here in the near future. But Carolina Duke playing in Cameron Indoor yesterday, completely empty gym because Cameron Indoor is so small that it's harder to have the distancing requirements mm-hmm. and all that. 
but it was like watching those two teams play a scrimmage against each other. It sucked. It, it is it. <laughs> So much of college, so much of the good in college basketball as a product is about the like fan the experience and the atmosphere to cover mm-hmm. up the fact that a lot of times the basketball itself is not very good, especially when you're getting officiated like that. So if we're watching these teams play glorified scrimmages against each other at this point, make them call their own fouls. Crap, I don't like. Yeah, what is the benefit at this <laughs> point? And also, I mean, I understand that there are a lot of refs because there are a lot of basketball teams. But the NCAA has plenty of money to pay these guys. Like, I don't know how the budget of these referees are. I don't know what their lifestyles are like. But I would like for them to only be officials, to be paid enough money where year-round yeah. they are calling basketball games because this is terrible. If it's going to be a billion-dollar enterprise, if it's right. a billion-dollar industry, let's let the officials be competent. And also let's establish some sort of rhythm in the game. Like you said – the first 10 minutes were a lot of fun and lent themselves to playing or watching more fun basketball. And then suddenly, for no apparent reason, it's like Mark Emmert got on the phone and was like, slow this bleep down. This is this is going too well. We need you guys to get involved. People came here to watch you, the refs. Right. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's no rhyme or reason. And it's hard to play basketball. And it's been a very long time since I've played basketball with, with, with referees. But it's hard to play. It's it's hard to play basketball when you don't know what necessarily is going to be called as a foul in a game. And I've I've joked about it this season. It's like a foul in college basketball depends on how tall you are, how tall the guy guarding you is, where he is standing on the floor, where you're standing on the floor, what time it is in the game, what the what it says on the scoreboard. That's how it's what it feels like because these things can flip and 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 just go so wildly. This, college basketball has got a prob a problem with officiating. It's got a problem with 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 fouls. We have seen this in the SEC, especially in the SEC, because in the SEC, where are most of your players coming from? The Southeast. Where are your best athletes coming from in pretty much any sport? Usually the Southeast. So the SEC plays this very physical brand of basketball. Now, I'm not saying it's not skillful, because there's a lot of really skilled players in this game. Did you see Devontae Shuler's game winner? He can make... I mean, this is a skillful game, but... There are also a bunch of dudes like Romello White, who is from Atlanta, who started his career at Arizona State, but got it on his way back down here and played at Ole Miss. Those guys are physical. Those guys want to play, right? And so if you're calling touch fouls, or if you're calling fouls 50 feet away from the basket for no reason, and, like, it's not affecting the game, and it slows everything down, it just makes your product more unwatchable. Yeah, And, and the last end- thing that – it's the last thing it needs right now. What happens – Just let's, let's, let's project down the future – what happens when the NBA decides to get, you know, their 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 act together and get rid of the one and done rule, right? The best and now talent is no longer there. And now that top level, like no more Zion Williamson's, no more of these one and done players are coming to college. They're going just straight to the NBA. And so what you have in college now are not the top of the top of the top talent, but you're having to build it around four year guys. It's going to be kind of more classic college basketball, right? You're going to have a harder time getting people to watch your product and getting eyeballs on your product if you turn on a game and it's just not watchable. It's not a good product because there's too many fouls. There's too many, you know, weird whistles. There's too many stoppages. You're not letting dudes do what they're good at. Watch the NBA. The NBA I'm not saying the NBA doesn't have officiating problems. There are games where guys get whistle happy. That 100% happens. But it's a free-flowing game. 
it is it is a it is a more entertaining product. And we talk about college football becoming more and more of a regional sport with the way the playoff has kind of has kind of affected things in certain parts of the country being left out, like the West Coast of, of, of the championship conversation and all that. College basketball is in danger of just becoming very irrelevant on, on the on the national stage outside of the NCAA tournament where people tune in and be like, oh, that's great. You do this little thing every year where you put on your little show and you put 64 teams in a tournament and say, this is the best way to determine a national champion. And everybody has fun with it for a couple of weeks and then it's over. Like that's, that's what you're running into if you're college basketball. And so that's got to, got to, got to, got to be fixed. It has to. Enjoying the idea of Mark Emmert being paid millions of dollars a year to watch his product implode. It is incredible. He's bad at his job. The sport is becoming, as you said, more and more regional to the point where it's just evaporating. And it's like, unless you have a direct tie to a school that you care deeply about, you don't care. And if you're one of the many schools whose teams are bad, you're like, I definitely don't care. And I turn it on and I have to watch Missouri get called for 40,000. No, I think I'll just flip Netflix on. Thank you, Mark Emmert. Enjoy your check. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll throw it too. SEC, do a better job of getting better officials. Fix your officiating. Fix your officiating. If you want people to care about your product, if you are investing money, if you are getting all that sweet, sweet football TV deal money, and you're investing it into other sports, which is a very good thing, which is something that needs to be done, not just in basketball, not just in baseball, but all non-revenue sports, like if we're going to do this, if this is how the, the system is going to be played, let's do it. But also make sure that people are going to want to watch the product. There is more talent coming into the SEC maybe than ever before in terms of recruiting. Like a team like Arkansas can sign a top 10 class now because they have a former NBA coach coaching them. Nate Oates can bring his revolution to Alabama and it worked. Kentucky is bad this year, but they're still going to be Kentucky most of, most of the time. We have seen Florida rise back up. We have seen South Carolina make it to a Final Four. We've seen Auburn make it to a Final Four after years of being nothing in basketball. LSU is a good regular season team under Will yes. Wade. Yes, there's there's a lot of those a lot of those examples. The Mississippi schools invested in really good coaches, right? Tennessee one day they're going to get it all together, I think, in the, in the postseason. But Tennessee is is has got a lot going for them right yeah, now. Yeah, and they've at least proven that two different coaches, Pearl and Barnes, are capable of making that program very relevant nationally. The schools are buying in at a higher level. They are getting more talent there than ever before in the SEC. There is interest, more interest in the fan base. So the last thing you need to do is put out a product that people don't want to watch. And that's what you're running into when games are officiated the way they are. Back to Auburn, because I want to, because I want to bring, because I wanted to bring the stat up, and I tweeted yesterday. I'm pretty sure I put it in the observations as well. But Auburn this season is 0 and 7 against power conference teams, and I lump in Gonzaga in there because they're basically a power conference team with the way they play. When their defensive efficiency for a game has been higher than 105.0, um, I don't know all the you know, intricate details of what gets that number, but basically like anything above hundred is not great. 105 is really not great. And the higher it is, the worse, worse your defensive efficiency is. Auburn's 0 seven in these games. All right. But there have been games where Auburn's been less than hundred in offensive efficiency. Uh, Kentucky and Memphis are two good examples. And Missouri is kind of that in another way as well, even though they got, they were very efficient in the free throw line of that game where Auburn was not at their best on offense, but won, right? 
Auburn has had really good offensive games go by the wayside this season. Look, you scored 90 and lost to Alabama. You scored 86 and lost to Georgia. You scored 84 on Ole Miss and lost yesterday. You scored 85 on Arkansas earlier this year and lost. They have wasted, for lack of a better term, good offensive performances. And as Pearl said yesterday, they did a lot of good things on offense. They did a lot of good things on offense yesterday against a team that is very, very good on defense. But defense defense is winning you basketball games this year. And we like to joke that like defense wins championships is kind of stupid in, in football now. It's still true in basketball if you want to just hammer down on a cliche. Because, like, look, Virginia won a national title a few years ago. Like, Texas Tech went deep with that kind of style. Um, you know, the the best teams in college basketball this season are the ones, a lot of them are the ones that are playing really, really good defense, you know, efficiency-wise. This has got to be fixed because that is what's key. When Auburn plays really good defense, they usually win. And when they don't play really good defense, they usually lose against quality competition. They've only been able to play two games this year where they haven't been great on defense and have still won, and that's St. Joe's and South Alabama. Hmm. That's it. So if you're going to win SEC games moving forward, you've got to get better on defense, and they've got to they've got to figure it out. They've got to figure out the reasons why, and there's a lot of bits and pieces why. I think part of it, I think part of it is right now they're in this kind of front court puzzle at the moment, where you want to have. Jalen Williams on the floor because he is your best all-around player in terms of what he does on both ends of the floor. Sharif Cooper is your best player, period, full stop. Um, but Jalen Williams has been your more consistent guy on both ends of the floor. He, he brings a lot to you. He does every a little bit of everything really, really well. You also have Dylan Cardwell, who in yesterday's game gave you some scoring, gave you a lot of rebounding, gave you some hustle and energy, and, and and it's physical. He's six ten. Like he he you with Romello White going off like that, you just say okay, well put the big guy in there and, and see what he does. Well, the big guy kind of got beat up a little bit by him. Uh, his defensive rating was the lowest on the team yesterday. Like Ole Miss did not have a problem scoring when he was on the floor. Stretch Hawk and Bowl is a really good rim protector, but he got in foul trouble yesterday. And how much do you use him? Oh, and by the way, you also have J T Thor, who is probably the second most naturally talented player on this team. But it's kind of going through it right now and sometimes shows his youth and sometimes shows that, oh, well, if a team tries to go Twin Towers on him or he gets switched onto a big man, you know, he's not necessarily going to be the guy who's going to rough you up on, on defense down low yet because he doesn't have the body yet. That's a puzzle that they've got to figure out. And I think if they can sort out what's the best combination, the best rotation, and get all those guys playing better defense together, I think it lifts the rest of the team. But again, how much of that is just an experience issue? Oh, Lord, it's going to be a long off season, but there is reason to think there's light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah, oh, God, there should be. Like I said, like I said, this Auburn team, this Auburn team right now is 10 and 10. They are one of the unluckiest, you know, in the statistical sense, teams in college basketball this year. There's only one team that has lost double digit games that is that is rated ahead of them on Kempom this season. It's Kentucky, because Kentucky played a brutal schedule this season and has also had close game, you know, mishaps like Auburn has had this season. So, 
if Auburn can figure out what's ailing them on defense, not just for the rest of the season, but moving forward, you see what happens with Sharif Cooper. You bring in a guy like Jabari Smith, who, by the way, is your highest-rated recruit ever. You bring in a guy like Trey Alexander, who's only going to help you at a position of key need right now, which is guard. You don't have a ton of guard depth right now. And Justin Powell, let's let's point it, let's point it out here with Justin Powell. Like Sharif Cooper, if Auburn had Sharif, uh, had Justin Powell, they would be a better basketball team right now. But he does not fix your biggest problem right now, right? The two guard who's a catch and shoot specialist and it was a pretty decent rebounder in his own right. Auburn just doesn't become a, a magically better defensive team with Justin Powell on the floor because he's young and he was going through some of the same defensive things that his teammates did earlier in the season. He's just been hurt for a while now. That does like Auburn's a better team. They're a more potent offense, but that doesn't fix their biggest issue. Their biggest issue right now is everyone from the guards to the big men have to do a better job of staying in front of their guys, knowing where to be on defense, not giving up like the execution mishaps and the positioning, you know, woes and all that, cutting down on those. And then just and just doing a better job of rebounding and getting not getting pushed around. And part of the reason why Auburn's getting pushed around is that they don't have a ton of what I call battle tested bulk. Like they don't have a they don't have a Romello White. Like even though Romello White's only six eight, like he plays like he's six eleven. Like he just that's a big dude down there. And your biggest big 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 thick big dude is Dylan Cardwell. And he's I mean. Carwell's in the spot right now. He's getting a lot done right now off of energy and effort, and Auburn fans love him for it. Dude didn't play high school basketball last season. Dude played behind Kofi Coburn, at, at, uh, who is now just ripping the world in half in, in uh, at Illinois. He's inexperienced, and some of that inexperience shows up on the defensive end. But you got to have him out there sometimes, and you also got to have Jalen Williams out there, and then you also have to have JT Thor. You want to keep playing him, and, oh, you want to put Stretch out there because he is a good rim protector, and then you look at it, it's like, well, you can't run a four-center lineup. Although it'd be kind of fun if they did, um, so it's just it, it's a quandary they've got to fix. It's it's something they've got to figure out, and um, that's going to be interesting. But it's also it's just execution, man. Scouting report. We got another one of those tough lessons from Bruce Pearl yesterday when he was like, you know, late in the game and those those baskets that Ole Miss scored to tie it back up. He said Stephen Pearl drew up the play Ole Miss was going to run on the sideline, and it still worked. <laughs> So, I mean, like, if you do that when you're a coach, you just kind of have to be like, throw your hands up and be like, oh, I mean, what? We told them what to do. We told them what they were doing. Just didn't do it. And it's like, okay, they just didn't do it. Why did they just not do it? Because they hadn't been there before. Because they hadn't had the reps. They haven't had the experience. And they're making some of the mistakes that come with with, with youth. Probably. Lord have on mercy. Top, on top of that, on top of that, I also wanted to point out, Pearl, there was... Something, oh, so one of the things that people were talking about during the game is like when when White was playing like he didn't. He had 30 and 10, and there was a stretch where I think he was like 9 and 10 from the field or something like that. Um, hmm. He was like, we, we, we could have double-teamed him more. And I think there were a lot of Auburn fans last night were like, why didn't they double-team the guy? I was like, I think the, I think the problem with double-teaming him, and, and Pearl said I probably could have done it more, I think the issue with double-teaming him more, especially in the second half, is that Devontae Shuler was hitting shots. You don't want to double-team and have the ball swing around, kick around, and end up in that guy's hands, and you give him an easier time to score. So I, I kind of get that. But it was the whole thing. They tried to front him, and like just Auburn 
Auburn just did not have the Auburn just did not have the have the mass to hang with him. Not yet. JT Thor is not that guy yet. Jalen Williams does that uh, pretty good, but I mean Jalen Williams is not the biggest center in the world, which is fine because he gives you some of that that floor stretching stuff that you really like and that playmaking stuff at center. But back to the basket guy could give him some trouble. Dylan Carwell has issues on defense from time to time, like all these dudes have. Stretch Akinbola got three fouls in seven minutes. That happens. That's difficult because if you're a coach, you're just like, ah, like you play defense like that. You're just like, I don't know what to like. I don't know how to fix this. I think, I feel like I'm trying to do the best that I can. And it's just like, Oh, well this just isn't working. I would be curious to hear the conversations between Auburn's coaching staff right now, because I'm sure that they are discussing some things they could do better themselves, but also hundred percent, hundred percent. They're probably going, all right, we are putting our players in some fine positions at times and they're not executing. How does that get better? And uh, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear their untethered thoughts. Cause obviously I think Bruce is pretty candid actually uh, with yeah. where they struggle and where they succeed in his, you know, post game analysis more so than a lot of coaches anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'd be curious to hear that, you know, taken a step further. And some no, of it's I, not a secret. Like, some of it you've described well in this podcast. And to this point, it's like, yeah, I don't know if Auburn's going to have an answer for that by the end of the season. Maybe next year. I'm of the opinion that I, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that they are going to get better. You just might not see it this season. Right. Like, they might take some baby steps along the way in the next, what, six or seven games here. Yeah. But uh, how, how that, uh, what that amounts to in the win column this season, I'm unwilling to say. And given my I, pro- my projections over the last few weeks, I, I will say nothing. I'll, I'll throw this to you. What is the reaction like? You heading into next ahead, after next week, if the struggles that this Auburn team has had and the weirdness of this year and Sharif not being eligible, not going to the postseason and COVID and all that. If all that, all that just kind of feeling that that you're getting from this basketball team, if you're a member of this fan base, what is the reaction if this is the team that beats Kentucky and Rupp? And I know Kentucky's not that good this year, but like if it's still the, the streak ends with this team, it would be funny. And it's so funny. It's so funny of a of a projection that I think it might happen. The point you made about the year before Auburn went on its regular season championship run, like there was a lot of this same feeling of frustration. Right? Well, is Bruce really going to get it done? Is he that good of a coach? And it's like, I don't know. I mean, maybe the national title at one program would indicate that, or maybe the uh, the deep tournament postseason runs at another would indicate it, or maybe the titles he's won here would, you know. Look, I think we've both been pretty fair to say there have been some areas that Bruce probably could have done a better job in this season. Yeah, like, oh, that's for fair. sure. And um, he's gonna, and he'll be one of the first ones to tell you that. Most of which I don't understand, so I'm not going to yeah, criticize the either. dude that hard. But, like, yeah, okay, fine. It's not been – there have been some moments where it's like, oh, maybe that wasn't the best decision. On the yeah. other hand, you are dealing with a roster of mostly underclassmen. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, you I don't are. know what to tell you. Still – Still think the dude's great, like, yeah. And I think I think like it is with football, the the sometimes the minority is the loudest one. But I say I say if you're an Auburn fan, keep keep the faith. You're going to want to see some progress from your defense moving forward. There's a lot going to be hinging on Sharif coming back next season. But like, you've seen some real individual development. I think this is a really good offensive team, 
especially when Cooper's out there. We haven't talked about it quite as much yet. Sharif Cooper just like just rolled out and just said, hey, okay, okay we're going to have a ton of assists today. Some of his passes he threw yesterday were just unbelievable. One of his first alley-oops he had in the game, from the angle I was at, it looked like he went for a baseball. He was going to do like that baseball, like kind of sling it, like kind of slingshot pass uh, down, you know, kind of like the kind of like the bounce that sixty foot bounce pass he threw it during uh, in the game in the in the first half, late in the first half. But it looked the way his arm angle looked, it looked like he kind of hitched on the way back, and it was like, oh, instead of that, I can just throw an alley oop. And it's just that vision and that that mental quickness that Cooper has is is not normal. He had a ton of no look passes, you know. People, people will come after the game and be like, "Oh well, he didn't score that much in the second half," or, you know, he turned the ball, he turned the ball over a decent bit. Uh, it, all those assists cover up a lot of that, right? You'll live with it. You'll live with it. You can get better, you know, and turn it out like you know some of those steals are you know good defensive plays. You'll live with that if he's assisting at, at such a high level. You know, and he hit the biggest shot of the game in a wild sequence. That once again, this Auburn team just doesn't know when to just stop playing. They just in a down five late, down five with thirty seconds. What do they do? They get a, they get two free throws, force a turnover, wild sequence, hit a three. Just so happened that Devontae Schuler had a really good shot in a really good really good spot. It happens. And again, I'll say like part of this season's frustration, I think, are compounded by Alabama having such a strong year. And if you want to talk about Alabama, look at their previous two seasons. I think you can make an argument with some of the roster talent they had and some professionals they had on their team that they underachieved in the last two seasons. And it's come together for this team. Uh, another thing that I'm curious to see, it's early in the tenure of Nate Oates, but like it looks like he's in a great position to go up 3-1 on Pearl here because that game, of course, will be in Tuscaloosa and they're playing well on the whole not their best effort against Missouri, but I digress. Auburn they, could have beat Auburn could have beat them in right. Cooper's first game. Missouri just beat Alabama, and Auburn beat Missouri. Yeah, like, and and you know again late game they worse. just got to learn how to play defense. <laughs> yeah, Auburn didn't close out that game great. Auburn yep. didn't close out the A and M game before Sharif was back. Auburn has struggled against Arkansas and Ole Miss, so it's like okay, then there there are some things to grasp onto, but yes. It has not culminated in wins, and that has been frustrating. I don't know what to tell you. At this point, I'm just starting to think it's not going to happen, and this is just going to be a little bit more of a disappointing season than I anticipated. But yeah, I'll survive. Next year, oh, God, I, just, I need Alabama to not go particularly far in the tournament. The ideal scenario, because I've already given up, that I, they're just going to win the, the regular season title is they get bounced in the semis and then lose in the first or second round of the tournament so we don't have to hear all of the insurance agents on Twitter. Hmm. Yes. All the people that want that really, really want you Auburn fans to know that they care about basketball now. And it's also really... that they went to Alabama, or maybe they didn't. Cool! <laughs> like... <laughs> like, Alabama's a good school, so is Auburn. <laughs> like, like... Well, it's funny for the ones that didn't. And yeah, again, no, you don't have to be a was... fan or you don't have to be a student to be a fan of the school, but absolutely not. There are people listening to this podcast who have no, have no educational connection to Auburn and we love them for it. If your existence is tied around it, I do find it to be funny. It is kind of funny. You know, Auburn, Auburn plays Vanderbilt on Tuesday night, uh, in the weirdest gym in, in America. It really is. It's such a strange setup. 
All right, so here's here's the here's the quick take on Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is one and seven in SEC play. Uh, they lost to Georgia yesterday by three. They've lost some close games. They lost Mississippi State by three. Lost to Kentucky by three. They have beaten South Carolina. They've got some weapons on offense. Scotty Pippen, um, Jr. Or what? I don't know. I don't. Here's the weird thing about Scotty Pippen that I don't understand. SBJ. He spells his name. He spells his name differently than his dad. Oh, his the dad Scotty was I, is not the same. His dad was IE and Scotty Pippen is with a Y. Mm. I don't know what what that what that's all about. Um Pippen's a really good uh player, really good um I mean he's just he's just been a, a pretty good scorer for them this year, great assist man, uh one of your best point guards in the league and in college basketball. Uh he's got some experience behind him. Vanderbilt's just not very good. Um you want to talk about you want to talk about uh well, here's here's two things to keep in mind. Number one, they turn the ball over at a decent rate. If you look at conference games this year, um, no one in the SEC gets blocked more than than Vanderbilt. So keep that in mind. Oh boy. Also, Auburn's got the tenth, I think they're tenth or eleventh in the SEC in defensive efficiency this season. Vanderbilt is dead last. Worst defense in the SEC by a significant margin. They are uh, teams are. Effective field goal percentage is 60%. Nobody is doing a better job of getting offensive rebounds than people who are playing against Vanderbilt. Uh, they don't force a lot of turnovers. Uh, opponents are shooting 42% from deep and 60% from two-point range against Vanderbilt in conference games this season. This is a defense that Auburn could set on fire. Yeah, I want at least 90 in this game. I want 90, and I want frustrations from some of these disappointing losses taken out on the Commodores. Sorry. I think offensively this could look a lot like the South Carolina game. Not necessarily score that many points, but like threes and twos and getting it all done offensively, I think you're going to be able to do just fine. Vanderbilt does not put up a ton of fight on defense. However, Auburn's problem right now is, as we've said all throughout this podcast, Defense. They've got some players who can make some plays on defense. They're a solid offense this season. Scotty Pippen's good. Dylan Deesu's good. They got some playmakers. Um, they've got a couple of guys that can shoot from deep. Trey Thomas and DJ Harvey are both about 37, 38% shooters from deep this year. They've got some weapons on offense. So Auburn's going to have to use this game to take advantage of a, a more favorable matchup. It's on the road. It's weird. It's you know a quicker kind of turnaround. All that is true, but this is an opportunity for them to bounce back. See if it gets done. You know, we said the same thing about Georgia, and we said the same thing about Ole Miss. It didn't happen. Um, I think the one thing you can point out to Vanderbilt is almost as young as you are, and um, they don't play. They play worse defense. So that's that's about as favorable of a matchup as Auburn could get at this point. Yeah. Then you go to Kentucky, and who knows what who knows what Kentucky's going to look like? I think they seem to change by the by the minute. In, in 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 Lexington, because they were they were cruising against Tennessee last night, and then uh, I looked up and the game was over, and Tennessee had won by a significant amount. So such a weird year for them. We were such talking weird off mic about Calipari, and I agree with your sentiment. I I don't think that they're going to run him off this year, but it would be a fascinating no. case study because I don't think they'll have any trouble getting another great coach to come right in, but. It does feel like there's sort of this resentment mounting towards Calipari right now, and some of that, and some of that, it, and and <laughs> some of that in Kentucky is also like the whole national anthem thing that the players have been doing from time to time there, and it's like, all right, guys, <laughs> like, 
Uh, let's see. Let's see what you really like. Let's do that's full mask off kind of stuff. But <laughs> yeah, it is. It is weird because I mean, he's the highest paid coach in basketball. I don't think he's particularly the best coach in college basketball, but like ain't nobody better at getting recruits than him. And if that, if you think acquiring talent is the best way to win, win games, I know that's the case in football and it's mostly the case in basketball and nobody does it better, but it's just, they have some real deficiencies this year and they're going through it, but I don't think anybody's going to sit there and say, Oh, they're bad. You know, dude's playing in the NBA on this roster. I'm sure. Oh, for sure. So whatever. It's a strange year in the SEC because I think it's, it's one of the better years in terms of, talent right have i got this ken palm got them as the third best conference right now but you look up and it's like a, a log jam basically between like second and 11th place and then there's alabama way out in front Mm-hmm. yeah they're a little better than the acc is this season but i think that's just kind of there's just some malaise in college basketball in general the big Ten's real good big Ten's got i would say four of the top eight teams in college basketball and uh in michigan illinois Iowa, and, and ohio state but Pander, before you switch over and wrap up with some quick football talk, uh, let the folks at home know how they can continue to support what we're doing over here. If you love what it is we're doing, you can pay us for it. I know that that sounds great. But if Mm. you're not ready to do that yet, or if you're already doing it, and we love those of you who do, rate, review, subscribe. That helps us greatly. Subscribing, getting those podcast downloads boost us up as well so if you have 30 seconds to leave a five-star review to say something nice i want to shout out um a very kind reviewer whose username escapes me justin i'll look it up thank you i believe it starts with jc nonetheless their review just said painter painter five stars Mm -hmm. and if you want to get on my good side all you have to do is gas me up it's not difficult Yes, that's the quickest way. That's the quickest way to 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 a very self-involved person. I am. Yes, everybody loves it when Painter gets gassed up. Painter especially loves it. It's the quickest way to his heart. This review was from January eighteenth, twenty twenty-one, from JCAU four one one. Shout out to JCAU four one one wherever you are, however you're listening. His review was Painter, uh, five stars, and the body was Painter. (laughs) And I got double use out of that. Because not only was I getting love there, but then Ferg turned around and said some nice words in one of his stories. So it was just a good day for me in general. Shout out to Rob Hale uh, and Grizzly Adams, um, who both uh, had some really, really kind words for us in the reviews as well. Um, Grizzly Adams said, things that you need in your life, this podcast. Yes, you, yes, be clever and we will shout you out and we will appreciate it a ton. Uh, this is a, this is a long account name uh, original list for lgbtq rights uh, that's a mouthful um shout out awesome podcast they bought a 60 dollars subscription right when we began and have, have loved it 100 percent. shout out to you as well we thank you for all your support and yeah if you want to be like these people who uh who want to get the podcast twice a week instead of just once a week six sixty dollars a year or six dollars a month whichever one you prefer uh, auburnobserver.com you also get all of my stories sent right into your email inbox just like this podcast if you are subscribed on the free feed i wonder if grizzly adams is the same grizzly adams that is cameron on twitter nonetheless i believe so we love it when you guys give me love i love yes and we thank you for rating reviewing and subscribing right if you review if you review don't talk about me 
personally. Don't I, the I person don't, doing the I, I appreciate work. that. I appreciate I appreciate that. But like, I want everyone to just gas up Painter in the podcast because he is the he is the man behind this whole operation, especially when it comes to podcasts. Like, he's the one editing it. He's the one producing it. He's got all the equipment. He's got all the he's got all the fancy stuff. He's getting it out there to the people. Y'all gas up Painter. Um, y'all can say nice things about me uh, in my writing. I'll, I'll appreciate that, and you do, and I do that. But yes, this is the opportunity when you go into the reviews. I want you to, you know, really, 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 really get uh, get Painter going. That's, Thank you guys uh, that's, for real. The support has been tremendous. We were talking about this the other day, and uh, there have been some things that probably worked in our favor in terms of like the coaching change, and you know, I don't want to like prey on someone's downfall too much but seriously like thank you guys for making this possible we cannot reiterate that enough we're gonna get we've been doing this for a little over six months now and this is is this is something we're gonna we're gonna be doing for a while i feel uh, and that's all because of y'all all right some uh some quick football news before we go i think since we had our wednesday night podcast there were a couple things that came out um one Tyrone Truesdale's coming back. Yeah, I we was surprised. Talk- I was surprised by that. Well, Brian Harson said that none of the people we, like, only the people that had been mentioned as coming back were coming back, and obviously that's not the case because Tyrone Truesdale's back, Grant Lloyd's back as well. That gives Auburn another experienced uh, weapon in the in the quarterback room. Do um, you perceive him that, to be a Sandberg type and that he just wants to get his foot in the door for coaching? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I really, that's something I, I don't know a ton about. Um, kind of his no slight to Lloyd. I just some guys have that dream. Some guys realize where their where their money can be made. Truesdale, though, I think when you look at the defensive line and how they're changing moving forward, having a guy like him to kind of build around with some of these young talented pieces as you reshape everything up front is a really really good deal for him. I think if he has a good season next year. So the guy who could who could sneak into some NFL conversation, which would be a really cool story, knowing Truesdale's background and where he came from, where he started at Auburn, um, would be would be would be pretty impressive. Is there like a uh, Cliff Notes version of that you can give me real quick, or is this not the time? I mean, it's just like he had uh, he he did not come from a football factory uh, growing up. You know, is his high school like he was he was down like if he if Auburn wouldn't have came in at the last minute offer on signing day when he signed, he was going to go to he was going to go to Florida Atlantic and he came to Auburn. And I've always told the story he came to Auburn. There was a practice one time we were walking around in the, in the great before time we were walking around practice, <laughs> fall practice, uh, Ronnie Garner's going, teaching these guys, keeping them going through, uh, um, drills. And Truesdale was in the back going very, very slow, really struggling, really going through it. Garner was giving him the chewing out of his life. Um, welcome you know, to kinda, college football. Yeah, just kind of welcome to college football. And I'll be honest, I watched him, and then we came back, and I was like, man, I don't know if that dude's going to be able to make it around here. Like, just it, it looked like he was really, really struggling and really having a hard time. He ends up playing his first season. He ends up starting. Shows how much I know. He's he's a, he's a dude who's got a lot of perseverance. He's been through. He's been through a lot to get to this point, and so it's really cool to see to see him have this opportunity. And I think it's really cool uh, for Auburn fans to see him come back for another year. Friday, Jarquez Hunter, the three-star running back out of the state of Mississippi, uh, commits and signs to Auburn. What's up? I said not a huge surprise. I don't think, but good. Not news a huge surprise. A lot of people, a lot of people thought that was coming. Um, this dude is a really 
interesting piece. You watch him on film. He uh, he has got a lot of uh, got a lot of burst to him. I think he comes from like that Cam Martin mold of like, hey, if I stick my foot in the ground and accelerate, it could be good night, everybody. He's 5'10", uh, 190. He's going to give you some more depth uh, at uh, at uh, at running back. He scored a just a a truckload of touchdowns in high school. He haven't had more touchdowns in his high school career than Marcus Dupree had in the state of Mississippi, which is always impressive when you can compare to him. Um, last season, he ran for sixteen hundred eighty-seven yards and twenty-two touchdowns in ten games. Uh, he was Mr. Football in Class 5A for the state of Mississippi. Auburn was a late offer for him. This is all coming from uh, from Nathan King. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Keith Niebuhr. I was reading another Nathan story from Keith Niebuhr of 24-7 Sports. Um, you got to have running backs. you got to have more. We know Devin Barrett coming back and moving to running backs is a big deal. Um, for depth, Hunter coming in is going to be be another weapon, and I think we'll see what Cadillac and, and this staff can do with him at running back. But, like, when you look out and kind of project him moving forward, he might not ever be the guy at running back for Auburn. Um, he could be. But he might not ever be the guy, but I, I like a lot of his, his his ability that he could really develop into a nice change of pace back. I like that I like that kind of one-cut ability he has. Um, so big pickup for Auburn there. They are now number 27 in the recruiting rankings. And uh, as I wrote in the mailbag earlier this week, if they so happen to get Dylan Brooks out of Knoxville, and who knows if that's going to happen, but if they're able to able to 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 maneuver that, they would be up to a top twenty class. Which gotta have some nuance, gotta have some context here, folks. This is a small class. It was a weird situation. Auburn was already playing playing behind the eight ball with uh, the way they want like to recruit. Yeah, it's just uh, it, it, we'll see in a couple, two or three years down the road if they're gonna be fine. But please God, just let the offensive line be more cohesive. Right. I, like I, I, I have weird expectations and hopes that are not very high for this season. I just want to see some improvement in specific areas. And as far as the recruiting goes, I don't think you could say it any better. Context this season matters. Even under Gus, it wasn't going to be the class mm-hmm. that we've all become accustomed to. And like yep. I'm in the camp that wants it to get a little better. So with a full year of it, we'll find out if that's 2022 will be 2022 will be a big test for this for this staff. Yeah how well they recruited in this first year. So we shall see how that goes elsewhere uh, on Friday. Uh, Auburn formally approved the board of trustees formally approved the new football facility. Um, that's going to be in, uh, underway. I think the time table on that is opening it up in the summer of 22. I think Josh Vitality is of the opinion that you hammer the over on that. Um, <laughs> I would tend to agree just because of COVID still going on sure. construction, not being the easiest thing in the world to do right now. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I will have a story up on Monday. Speaking of observer, if you're a subscriber, I'll have a story up on Monday about this facility and kind of a take um, that I want to kind of point out about, about facilities and recruiting and all that in general um, and how it affects Auburn that mm. uh, I think is not being talked about quite as much. I think that's it. I think that's it in terms of in terms of football news. You can correct me if I'm wrong. We'll have more stuff coming out throughout the week on both football and basketball at AuburnObserver.com. $6 a month or $60 a year, like I said, to subscribe. Uh, say nice things about Painter in the comments uh, section in your reviews. Really, really appreciate all that because that helps us a ton, as Painter has said. Um, anything how else, would, bud? How would we conclude this? What would be the three bullet points from today's podcast? Is, is that what we're doing now? I guess so. Like the New I York guess that's Times? my this end like contribution. New York Times podcast? I, 
since I rattled off all of our Chiefs. It's the uh, Fox podcast. Takes. Oh yeah, that's right. We did we did get our Super Bowl. I, I don't know why I did that to you. I was like, let's talk about it <laughs> midweek, and then at the end, you pointed out well, there'll be plenty of time to do this. If you missed if you missed the uh, if you missed the uh, Super Bowl analysis, we are we are all big on the Chiefs tonight. That's that's our that's our big takeaway. I think you um, wisely called Patrick Mahomes a dork, but I think still a yes. likable dork. Very much a likable dork. He is a dork, and that's fine. I'm a dork. Panthers a dork. A lot of good people are dorks. Um, Y'all don't think I'm cool? Mm. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, your three bullet points. Auburn. It's Auburn has to get better on defense. Period. Full stop. That is the biggest thing keeping that keeping this team back. This team will not get to where they need to be, whether this season or next season, until they get better on the defensive end of the floor. There you go. Second bullet point. It's not fun right now. It's not good, but Auburn is playing better basketball on the whole than their record necessarily reflects, and I think that's a decent sign for 2021, 2022. Third bullet point is uh, say nice things about Painter in the in the review. So I guess Sick. that's that's um, a good one right there. That's a good one to have. All right, we will talk to some of you later this week on uh, most likely on Wednesday uh, as we recap Auburn Vanderbilt and look ahead to Auburn Kentucky. A new uh, football stuff that comes in through that point. For the rest of you, uh, we appreciate you guys still listening uh, to the free episodes and uh, continue to subscribe and do all that good stuff there. Uh, You can check us out next Sunday. We will talk Auburn, Kentucky then. Painter, we good? Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs.